하나님의 말씀을 봉독하겠습니다. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm chapter 14 and 1 to 7. If you are able, please stand. 기도하겠습니다 소망의 하나님 독생자 예수를 보내시고 또 우리 죄를 용서해 주시고 새 사람으로 이렇게 만드시고 또 매일 새롭게 해주셔서 감사합니다 이 시간에 말씀 통해서 우리에게 말씀하옵소서 Father we thank you for 
your son, Jesus Christ. And it is through faith in him that we gather this morning. Lord, we long for your word. We long for you to speak to us. Lord, show us your path of righteousness. We pray that we would not be distracted by other things, but that, Lord, you would work now through our hearts, through our minds, for your glory and your kingdom. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's, a, it's been a pretty moderate uh, summer uh, so far, right? It's been a little bit hot, but this past week has been okay. In the world we live in, I think that we would all agree that we live in an increasingly divisive world. And I think that we've seen that a lot during this past year in the pandemic, not only in our country, in the U.S., but all over the world. But this might shock you that this is not just something that has been happening over the recent years, but that this has been happening since the beginning of time. Mankind and we as humans, we are programmed. It is our innate nature to be segregated, to find things different about each other, and to be divisive so that we may be separate. If we look all the way back to the beginning of time, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he created man, Adam and Eve. And we remember that first sin of Adam and Eve where they ate of, uh, ate of that fruit. And they sinned against God, and God came to them. And after he, he kind of calls them out about this sin, the first thing that Adam responds with is he says, well, it's because of this woman that you sent me. And what does Eve say? She says, well, it's because of this serpent. And immediately we see this blame game going on and we see this divisiveness, right, going on between man. But this isn't in just the world. It's not just in the news, but it's also in the church. We as a church, oftentimes, we are divisive. And we divide over the pettiest, the smallest of things, like skin color, or gender, or age, or culture, language, politics, geography, even masks. And the list could go on and on. And of course, we all have our unique differences. God has made us uniquely so that we think differently, we do things differently, we have different affections. But the church should never look like the world in terms of being united. And this is because we have been united through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been united by faith in Jesus. And this is the gospel that Paul describes to us in Ephesians 3, our New Testament reading today. But Paul reveals to us that there is a mystery of this gospel that through generations has been hidden. And he reveals that to us And he kind of, he makes his way from Ephesians 1 to Ephesians 2, and and it kind of climaxes at Ephesians 3. And if you you go back home and you read that, you'll, you'll notice. But in Ephesians 1, he talks about the believers of Christ, those who have faith in Christ. And he says, we're like a body. We all have different members, but we are united through the head who is Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, he describes the church as a structure, the temple of the Lord, who comes together and builds itself up with Christ as its cornerstone. And so finally, in chapter three, he says the church 
has been united through Christ as one family. As one family. In verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So it is evident that Christ has united his people together to become his body, his temple, his family, his church. Now the question is, who are these people that make up his church? And so historically, the Jews would say that these people are them. They are the chosen ones. God has chosen these Israelites to be his people. And so then the church in the New Testament, of course, is They're they're the Israelites. They are the Jews. But this is the mystery of the gospel that Paul, he reveals to us in Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery of the gospel that it's not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. And in fact, he says, every family in heaven and on earth. John Stott, on this verse, comments, the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It is a double union with Christ and with each other, which was the substance of the mystery. And this shared privilege is both in Christ Jesus because it is enjoyed equally by all believers, whether Jew or Gentiles, provided that they are in union with Christ. And through the gospel, because the gospel proclamation includes this unity and so makes it available to those who believe. So then we, brothers and sisters, we are the church. We are the body. We are the temple of the Lord. We are the church comprised of all who have faith in Jesus Christ. We are called to be united despite our differences, despite our different backgrounds, our different culture, our different skin color maybe, because of the one who has called us. And so it's not weird that one of your pastors is Korean and that one of your other pastors is African American, but you are not. This is the church. We are united not by the attributes that we bring to the table. We are united by the grace of God shown through Jesus Christ. The reason that the world never experiences true unity is because they try to unite themselves over the things that they bring to the table. Unfortunately, sinners only bring sin to the table. And sometimes this happens in the church as well. The church tries to unite around what they have in common, their common interests, the similarities that they have. Unfortunately, that is not what we are called to unite around. We are called as the church to unite under Jesus Christ. And it is only through Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ that we are united as the true church. And so Paul, I'm going a little ahead here, but in Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says, There is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
So then it is the understanding of this mystery of the gospel that we are able to be the true church under Jesus Christ. Now, if it were just by the knowledge of this mystery of the gospel, it'd be great. If we just all, if we just told everybody and then everybody just became united as one body, as one church, wouldn't that be great? But we don't see that, do we? Because Paul says that there's another key to this unity of the body of Christ. There's another key to this gospel mystery. And he says that that key is Christ's love, the love of Christ. And so in verses 17 through 19, he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays for these Christians, for these brothers and sisters to be filled with all of the fullness of God. Well, what is all of the fullness of God? Paul says this fullness of God is revealed through Christ Jesus, this mystery of the gospel that Christ has united now as his church, both Jew and Gentile. But he says it is through the love of Christ that the church is united together. Again, this is not simply a knowledge of the love of Christ, not just knowing about Christ's love, but it is the feeling in your heart. It is having assurance in your mind, and it is seeing the love of Christ daily in your life. And all of this comes through faith from the Holy Spirit. It is only when we have truly realized and experienced and known this great love of Christ that we are able to know the fullness of God. You may have heard of it. You may have read about it. But you don't fully know it until you have experienced it yourself. My son can read about how much I love him. He can read it in a letter. He can hear it when I say to him, Nathaniel, I love you. But he will not truly understand how much I love him unless I buy him toys. <laughs> In the same way, we may hear about the love of Christ. We may hear it preached to us every week. We may read about it in our Bibles, but we will not truly grasp, truly know, right? There's, there's knowing and then there's knowing. We won't truly know this love of Christ until we have experienced that love of Christ personally in our lives. Paul knew about the love of Christ. He knew it through his culture. He knew it through his upbringing. He knew it as he studied the word of God to become a Pharisee. I'm sure that he was taught by his parents how much God loved the Israelites despite their sinfulness and their wickedness. I'm sure Paul went to VBS and learned about Joshua and how Joshua led, uh, God led Joshua and the Israelites into the promised land and how much God loves the Israelites. I'm sure Paul knew about it. I'm sure he heard about it. He even studied it. Yet, even with this knowledge of God's love, he was filled with nationalism. He was filled with ethnic pride. He was filled with divisiveness so that 
he went and persecuted those who loved God, even his fellow Jews. He persecuted his fellow brothers and sisters with this knowledge of the love of God. Having knowledge of God's love didn't mean that Saul of Tarsus actually knew God's love. How do we know that Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, how do we know that he knew, he really knew, he grasped the love of Christ in his life? Because one day on his way to Damascus to do what? To persecute the Christians. He encountered the living God, Jesus Christ. And it was in this encounter that Paul realized something. And this is where the key lies. He realized who he was before God. He realized his sinfulness and his wickedness before an almighty God. But that still Jesus loved him. That still Jesus forgave him. And on top of all of that, still Jesus called and commissioned him as an apostle. And it's because Paul was able to experience and encounter this love of Christ that he actually went out and lived for Christ. And he went out and he united the Christians. And he went out and he preached the gospel message, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, that they may be one under Christ. The fullness of God is not just knowing about the mystery of the gospel. The fullness of God is not just knowing about the love of Christ, but the fullness of God is personally experiencing and having a personal, intimate relationship with Christ and knowing his love firsthand, not secondhand or thirdhand. Now, I'm careful to say or talk about this personal relationship with Christ because of the age and the culture and the generation that we live in. I'm not talking about Kabbalah. I'm not talking about some supernatural spiritualism or mysticism of having this, you know, uh, personal encounter with Christ. A personal encounter with Christ doesn't mean that he reveals only to you something that has been hidden for for ages that even the apostles didn't know about. And and he's revealed this secret thing to you now. And so now because of this intimate relationship, you know, only you know now. That's not the intimate relationship I'm talking about. This personal relationship can only come by experiencing this true love of Christ, and this can only come through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who would say that they have a personal relationship with Christ, but they just don't like church. You know, I like the religion, but I just don't like the people. And there are others who would say the opposite. Oh, I like the people, I like the community, but a personal relationship with uh, Jesus, you know, that sounds a little weird. It's a little bit too much for me. But truly knowing and experiencing Christ's love, right? Truly knowing that mystery of the gospel, truly, truly firsthand knowing that love is both. We are compelled to gather together and to meet together, to love one another despite our differences because of the love that we have experienced in Christ Jesus. This love of Christ is so powerful because we are reminded 
in Psalm 14, our Old Testament reading today, that there's none who does good. There's none who seeks after God. Verse 3 says, They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's none who does good, not even one. The reason that Christ's love is so grand, it's so great, is because it is an incomprehensible love for sinners, for the corrupt, for the wicked, for the wretched, who are undeserving of this great love. Yet Christ lavishes, he gives us this love. And in his perfect will and in his perfect love, he loves us and he has saved us and redeemed us so that we might build up his church that he may be glorified in Christ Jesus, as Paul says, throughout the generations forever and ever. So this love of Christ is not just knowledge, but through faith we are able to know it. We are able to know it with our entire being. We are able to know it through the word and through prayer and through the sacraments. By faith, as we come to a greater knowledge of God's word, we become strengthened as we come to a greater knowledge of his works and his promises to us. The word of God does not simply fill our heads, but it transforms our minds and changes our hearts and our inner being through his spirit. By faith, we see Christ's love all around us as we see him work through our prayers. And by faith, Christ's love becomes tangible to us through the elements of Holy Communion. Through these outward and ordinary means, Christ dwells in our hearts and we are able to be rooted and grounded in love. We are able to know that and experience this fullness of God only by comprehending the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. We are filled with all the fullness of God as we love one another because Christ loves us. And in doing so, we become united under him. And so let us be a church that comprehends with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth of Christ's love through the power of his spirit. Let us be a church that is filled with all of the fullness of God, understanding the mystery of the, of the gospel of Christ that brings all of us together as his church. Peter O'Brien in his commentary says, as the community of the redeemed, both Jews and Gentiles, the church is the masterpiece of God's grace. And you can insert in there both Korean and non-Korean. You can insert in there any difference. But we, as a church, we are the masterpiece of God. The masterpiece of his grace. We are living testaments that the love of Christ indeed surpasses all knowledge and brings together all of God's chosen people across ethnic, cultural, social, economic lines. And we, as Christ's church, we are the masterpiece of God's grace. We sing of Christ's love together. We pray by the power of Christ's love together. We have been forgiven by Christ's love together. We have heard the preached word of Christ's love together. And so now let us partake of the bread and drink, Christ's own body and blood for us, 
the embodiment of Christ's love. Let us take it now together as one body, one temple of the Lord, and one family of Christ. Amen.